Hey everyone, welcome to a very special episode of 4GQ TV, and we have a very special guest today. Real quick, uh, before we get to him, I'm just going to go ahead and introduce that Paris is on the panel with me today, and our special guest is known as H.C. Anderson. Um, and could you introduce yourself uh, for our audience? Yeah, my name is Hoche Anderson, sometimes called H.C. Anderson lately. Um cartoonist uh got into filmmaking recently um it's been around in the game for uh for a little while now oh that's awesome I well the first question i gotta ask is how did you get started in this business um i got how did i get started um in terms of like how i got my first gig or um uh, I, I would say first gig and how you got first introduced into the business of art in general um well i started drawing when i was a little kid um i got interested in visual storytelling very early on and uh i was one of those kids who always had a pencil in hand and a piece of paper i was always drawing something um pretty consistently throughout my life and um i've, I've often said um the field of art sort of uh you know it found me more than i found it i was always kind of doing it so it's became sort of inevitable um, what I was going to wind up doing with uh, the rest of my life. Um, so I got in, I got interested in um, visual storytelling really early um, through, uh, through Star Wars and through uh, this Walt Disney cartoon called um, Man in Space. Mm. And um, they put kind of a love of science fiction into my head and of world building into my head and of visual storytelling into my head, either on the screen or on the page. And uh, I just always was interested and always wanted to pursue it. So um, by the time I was 14, uh, there was a, 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 a comic book being published uh, in Toronto, which is where I live, um, uh, called uh, Mr. X. It was published by a company called Vortex Comics. And uh, I found out that they were in the city. I went and I checked them out. Um, my work wasn't very good at that point, but they were kind enough to like invite me to come back. And that's, uh, that's sort of how I got my first um, professional involvement through the guys at uh, Vortex Comics. And um, then it was just a process like everybody else did in the 80s where you were constantly submitting stuff, getting rejected. Um, back then it was like, you know, it wasn't like uh, social media time. This was uh, through the mail. You had to like, you know, put together photocopy submissions and throw them in the mail and hope to get some kind of response. And I did that for about um, maybe four years or actually about six years before I finally started to get a few hits. And, you know, one thing leads to another and, um, here I am today, but it was it was a slow process. It was uh, it was not like an overnight thing. Yeah, yeah. I bet the uh, in the eighties, you know, taking photocopies, put it all in the in in, in the in a big like envelope package, package. Yep. it off, and then you yep. just yeah, keep your fingers crossed. Exactly. <laughs> and more often than not, you wouldn't even get a response. If you did get a response, it was uh, come back when you're ready. Um, you know, if you were lucky, a lot of times it wasn't even that nice. But um, yeah, it, it's kind of weird because I have a certain nostalgia for for those old days. You know, I kind of miss going down to the print shop and with my stack of new work and getting it, you know, getting the, the photocopies back were the first taste of what it was like to see stuff in print. So it was a real kind of an exciting time uh, mm -hmm. to go to like, you know, the proto Kinko's or whatever it was, the neighborhood quick stop and get stuff uh, printed up. It was cool. I kind of miss it. <laughs> 
toss your quarters into the machine. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or get the print card, whatever. Yeah, man. Yeah. So after Vortex Comics, um, did you have any big jobs after that, or did you go independent? Um. Yeah. I um. Let me think about that for a second. So. I um I was working with Vortex. I wrote and drew this. I pitched them like a like a five issue series, like a sci fi series. Excuse me. I wound up um writing and drawing the first issue of that, and some of the second issue of that. And then at some point, Vortex and I stopped seeing eye to eye on things. I think they were dissatisfied with the my my rate of the progress of of my growth as an artist and and as a writer. And, um, and I was becoming disillusioned with them for my own reasons. And at a certain point, there was a parting of the ways. So that kind of led me uh, to like about, you know, like I said, a number of years of just submitting stuff. Um, and I submitted to everybody, all the indie publishers of the time. I didn't submit so much to Marvel and DC just because I was becoming less interested in superheroes at that point. But in terms of all the indie publishers of that day, I submitted to everybody, Pacific, Renegade, kitchen sink, you name it, I submitted to them. Um, first comics, everybody. And the only person that really got back to me with any um, interest was Fantagraphics. And this was after submitting to them two or three times. Mm. Um, and I broke in through Fantagraphics through their Eros Comics imprint, which they had set up at that point in the very early 90s um, to try to stave off bankruptcy, basically, because they were about to go into the crapper, unfortunately. Their brand of boutique indie comics were just not selling, even though the quality was there, the sales weren't there. And uh, Howard Chaikin's um, Black Kiss had come out and had created a market of erotic comic books. And uh, they ran with that and they were able to keep themselves afloat um, through the Eros line for quite a number of years. So that's that's kind of how I broke in finally. Nice. Yeah, those, those uh, I remember that sort of time period where it was sort of taboo, right? For those sort of comics uh, and and you know the sexier side of the industry, you know more robust sort of drawing and you know. I mean, it existed. All the parts, it, right. It was there in the underground scene, and it mm -hmm. was there in publications like you know Playboy and Penthouse. You get some more racy stuff, mm -hmm. um, and, and certainly in the undergrounds, they were much more extreme. But in terms <laughs> of going out into the you know the comic um, the comic store indie crowd. Mm -hmm. They weren't really into that. That was there wasn't a market there for that, and mm -hmm. definitely not in the mainstream. Uh, there was no way Marvel or DC. I remember when Kaken <laughs> was first putting out Black Kiss in his interviews, he talked about how he had tried to promote the idea of a, an erotic comic to the to the mainstream publishers for years, only mm -hmm. for them to say, "No, get out of here with that." So, uh, so yeah, he was kind of a trailblazer. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So. Um, uh, on your career, um, as you're as you're growing, you know, in the '80s, and you're getting 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 these uh, opportunities, um, is there anything sort of that stood out to you that sort of sort of stands out to you back then that you know that you would change that you would have changed as far as like all the information that you know now, or is it just you know it is what it is? You know, going back in time, sometimes you think about things you're like, oh, I should have, I, I should have probably thought about that, and you've probably yeah. had an idea of things, but. You know, how do you feel about that? Um, well, you know, I mean, in a way, like that's sort of a pointless exercise. I mean, it is what it is. It turned out the right. way it turned out. And honestly, I, I can't really complain because I'm, I'm, what did I tell you about the cat? What did I tell you? <laughs> 
Come on, Puss. She is like clockwork, man. Kills me every time. Come on, kitty, hurry up. Sorry about That's that, true. fellas. Oh, no, no worries. Right. No worries. We, can, we can fix um, that. So I, I, here's what I would change. But if I were to go back, if there was some magical time machine, I would, um, I would just try, I would probably be a little bit more consistent. And I think I would probably focus a little bit more on the mainstream at the beginning of my career. So mm -hmm. what I mean is I've always been a very restless um, creative type. I'm always wanting to experiment. And I think I took my um, passion for experimenting so fervently that I was, I was very difficult to pin down. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when you're starting out, it's maybe a little bit better if people can sort of know who you are, what you are, where they can go to get, get your stuff until you sort of build up that fan base. And I was right. always doing this and doing that and trying to so many different things. It was very difficult for me to kind of like find my particular groove. Mm. Um, in a way that was good just because um, I experimented so much that it kind of helped to build up my, my overall skill set. But I still right. wish I'd been a little bit more consistent in the beginning. And I also wish that I had tried to foster that mainstream career early on, which I'd started out at Marvel or DC, you know, gotten that kind of mainstream cred, develop those professional in the trenches, month in, month out, get that comic book out there, skills mm -hmm. and chops, um, and then uh, develop a fan base there and then maybe start to, like, sort of like David Mazzucchelli, you know, mm -hmm. starting out doing, having this incredible um, run at Marvel and then doing, you know, Born Again and, 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 uh, and Batman Year One, developing very serious mainstream cred and then pushing that aside and doing stuff like Rubber Blanket, you know, and Marvel fanfare, that crazy uh, angel story that he did in that, in, that, in that style anticipating Rubber Blanket or mm -hmm. City of Glass or Asterios Polyp or whatever the, the books that he's done over the years. I really kind of admire that. So I might, I might have, if I were to do it over again, I might have made those adjustments. But again, what can you do? It is, you know. Yeah, you live and you learn, right? Growth you live and you growth. learn, brother. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I would I would say that the the 80s was really a hard time to kind of like break out because there was a lot of uh traditional methods back then that you know comic companies didn't want to fall out of. It was very traditional and very Absolutely. similar to everything else. In the 90s, we start to see a breakout with like Todd McFarlane we saw a breakout with Rob Liefeld. Um, it, we saw breakouts with like Psylocke on the cover, trying to look more, um, more fancy, I guess, more feminine. And then, uh, you know, Vampirella was always the icon since okay. like the seventies. Uh, she was one of the only ones that had her own kind of uh, fan base and stuck out amongst everything else of the publishers. So. You definitely, you definitely went through one of the hardest periods of trying to break out in comics, um, and I think that's a testament to your success now and not giving up. I think yeah. that it kind of gave you that motivation not to give up. At one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Although, let me let me challenge one quick thing though, because the good part about when I was breaking in, absolutely, it was a much more. Um, uh, you know, it's a little bit more of a conservative time, but at the same time, it was still. Um, this was in the era where the, you know, um, 
the kind of mainstream cred that comic books have now was starting to be birthed back then. And the diversity of the subject matter was really starting to become more of a thing in the 80s. I think of the 80s really as a time of incredible um, expansion and uh, experimentation um, mm. in comic books. So, I mean, I think both things are true, what, what we're saying. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm actually really glad that that's the time that I came about because it was really, uh, it was the time when we went from, you know, the stories have to be, they have to be contained within a certain box to just breaking out of that box, man. I got to witness that firsthand and that was incredibly yeah. exciting. So yeah, so definitely happy to have emerged in that era for sure. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. A lot of, a lot of first appearances happened in that era. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. No question. So after all of that, how did you get into doing a uh, comic book like uh, biography of Martin Luther King Jr.? Uh, that was um, that was a uh, basically a commission from Fantagraphics Books. And one of our first conversations, they they told me that they wanted to do um, some historical comics, and the publisher was really enamored of tackling King's story first. And uh, being one of the few black cartoonists at that time, um, I think I was probably a safe bet. I don't think my skills were there, but I think he at least had his ass covered politically. And, uh, and the good thing, you know what I'm saying? And the good thing is, um, I was actually, I was the right guy for that. Cause I had grown up in like, you know, somewhat of a political household, just like, you know, the news were discussed during the day, you know, every day, um, right. current events were something that were of importance around the house. And, uh, and also I just had, um, I had a certain love of, um, of recent history of world building. I'd fallen in love with um, with Oliver Stone's filmmaking, uh, mm -hmm. Born on the Fourth of July, Platoon. I love the fact that he was examining the 1960s through this really kind of bombastic cinematic lens. So that really appealed to me. JFK is one of my all-time favorite films. I saw that movie, I think, five or six times when it came out in 1990 or 91, mm -hmm. whatever year it was. I think it was 1990. And uh, so I was, uh, my mindset was primed um, to do King. I, it wouldn't have been my choice. I didn't know that I was the right person to do that comic book, uh, you know, five minutes before it got offered to me. But when it came up, it just, it clicked. It made sense and I, I was happy to jump on board. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's an incredible um, feat right there. Cause you're, you're right. You're, you know, you're doing a comic book about, you know, one of the biggest, uh, you know, people and you know not just african african-american community but in the united states and almost the world right in so, the world man he belongs yeah. to the world yeah yeah so it's a, a definite i probably would have been like well uh, <laughs> are you sure about this you know <laughs> but that's sort of where you know when your skill sets you know set in you start really thinking about it um how, how did that how did that you know when you first found out you were going to do it were you thinking it was going to to sort of, okay, I'll do it. And it's not going to get, you know, I'm sure you're hoping that I get the, a lot of fanfare, but was your mentality like, you know, it is what it is sort of thing um, based off of, you know, what you guys are, were trying to do with it? Um, That's interesting. Well, I mean, let me backtrack for one second, just to say yeah. that, um, you know, I think um, I was lucky in that I was so young. I didn't realize the, the mind potential mild field, mind field that lay ahead of me. Yeah. So 
you know, when you're that young, man, you're just like, you're blind. You're happy to just uh, wade into war without, uh, I, I hate when people make comparisons to war, but you know what I'm saying? You're happy right, to right. wade into the conflict um, regardless, because you just don't know any better. So I benefited from that. But um, uh, yeah, you know, it was uh, it was an assignment. Um, I was excited to have it because um, it, like I said, it sort of clicked with me mentally. And I also realized, you know, just the mercenary part of me realized that there were probably uh, be a few eyeballs on it just because of the nature of the subject matter. Um, mm -hmm. But at no point did I expect it to, I didn't think I'd be talking about it, you know, 30 years later or whatever the hell it's been, you know, yeah. 20, whatever it's been, 30 years. So I, I just, I didn't anticipate that at all. That's, that's a shock. Yeah, um, yeah. So I guess it turned out all right. There's a lot about it I would do differently today. I would do not one page the same today that I, that exists that exists, I would do the, the entire thing differently. But mm -hmm. it seems like it landed okay with some people, so I, I shouldn't <laughs> complain too much. <laughs> yeah, no, it's awesome, it's awesome. I think uh, a lot of people, um, uh, the people that I've talked to, uh, you know, really liked it. And, you know, I told them I was talking to you, they were like, oh my gosh, this dude is a, a, a creator right here. This is Dr. King right there. So it's like, and it was something that never, I don't know, was it ever done before? I don't, I don't think so. Think so right. I'm so I'm not aware of that. This is something that's come up recently, and it's not mm -hmm. something I ever really gave that much thought to over the years. Right. But it's been brought up to me so often lately that I'm I've had to sort of reevaluate it. But the truth is, right. I, I don't really think there was this kind of book before then. If there mm -hmm. were, there weren't any uh, done at that level. Um, right. I've said this many times. Uh, I myself was influenced by the Martin Luther King story. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this very slim pamphlet comic book from like the 1950s when King was doing his thing. I think it's called the Mon Mon Martin Luther King, the Montgomery story. I forget what it's called. I got a copy yeah. in my storage box, yeah. but it's a well-known comic book biography of Martin Luther King. As a matter of fact, it was an influence uh, to John Lewis. John Lewis has yeah. talked about that comic book many times. It's like, that's one of the reasons he was inspired to write um, uh, March, that three volume mm -hmm. biography that uh, he did. Uh, that he co-wrote about his own life. Um, so, and I myself was inspired by that. So that there is that precedent, but in terms right. of doing like a full on epic length um, biography of, of a political figure, of a cultural figure, I can't come up with one previous to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That's, so that's awesome. Kind of, yeah. And, and I remember Dwayne McDuffie, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know why this came to mind, but I just remember when I first met Dwayne McDuffie, um, when I first started working with Milestone uh, in the early 90s, Dwayne McDuffie took me aside and gave me a real writing critique about King. He's just like, too many words to the panel. You got to do this, that, this differently, that differently. And it's kind of cool because I was, I've been rereading some uh, Milestone comics recently. Up to this morning, I read some of uh, Dwayne McDuffie's stuff on Blood Syndicate, and man, that guy could write. Mm. Him and Ivan Velez wrote some great stuff in Blood Syndicate. That guy could really write. So I was, I had a, a great uh, mentor in mentor. that guy uh, early nice. on in my career. Well, that so is that awesome. Came to mind. Yeah, I think yeah. that's probably one of Carlos' uh, next questions. Is uh, as far as mentors, you know, <laughs> who are who are your some of your favorite ones, or well, the ones that you sort of gravitated to. Uh, well, Dwayne McDuffie's definitely up there. Um, mm -hmm. Me and Dwayne didn't always get along so well, personally, unfortunately. We kind of came more to an understanding later on in life. We were a little bit at loggerheads when we first met because we were both um, headstrong and I was you know, like a mouthy, 
you know, cocky kid and Dwayne was a seasoned vet and I'm sure my youthful bravado probably rubbed his seasoned self uh, a little bit the wrong way. But he also um, saw something in me in terms of uh, having some talent. So he was willing to give me his time, which I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, so Dwayne McDuffie was a big one. Um, um, uh, the people at Vortex Comics were early mentors of mine. Um, I was going to do some work. Uh, this is like a, a, the publisher, Bill Marks, who I've given a hard time to over the years, but Bill was actually incredibly cool to me when I was starting out. Um, so Bill, Bill, all due respect, brother. Um, and uh, Deborah, Glenn Cross, De- Deborah Glenn Cross, she was also, she was his partner and they were co-owners of Vortex. And they were both really instructive to me when I was starting out in terms of just sitting me down, giving me like just you know, like fundamental lessons in how to do the job at 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 a, at a professional level. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that kind of stuff's invaluable. You can't get that from a book. You know what I mean? You right. need that somebody to sit in front of you and show you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. Um, Dean Motter is another guy from back then. Um, Lou Stathis, uh, he was an editor at uh, Heavy Metal and at High Times Magazine. And then later on, he really made his name at Vertigo as uh, one of the, I think, the editor-in-chief or one of the big editors at Vertigo. I guess Karen, Karen Berger was the editor-in-chief, but um, Lou was, was up there. And Lou was another guy. I was um, doing some work for uh, a company called Piranha Press in the early 90s. And Lou Stathis was writing, along with a guy named Robert Morales, a book called Skin Brace that I was going to do for Piranha Press. And they were sort of um, they were sort of the vertigo before vertigo. All right, mm-hmm. it's like early '90s, late '80s, early '90s. And Lou was a real hard ass man. And Lou really um, sat me down and 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 showed me what for a lot of times, and didn't hold back. He didn't like pull any punches at all. And it could be upsetting at the time, um, but Lou didn't give a shit because he knew he was right, and right. Uh, and I knew he was right. So, you know, people like that early in my life really uh, helped to show me the way. Yeah. That constructive feedback, you know, uh, that's, it's real key, like whatever industry that you're working in, right? Because you want to know sort of like, okay, where am I at? What do I got to do to get to that next level? And I need that sort of that constructive uh, criticism, right? So I know what to do to learn and grow. Absolutely. Um, and and that's and that's good. You know, people that sugarcoat it, you don't, you're not getting anything. You know, you're just like, oh yeah, you're all right, you know, you're good to go. I'm like, no, what like yeah. really look at this and tell me what you really think, right? So I mean, I, I always admire um I never got to meet him, but um Neil Adams. I, I I'm a big Frank Miller fan. And Frank Miller talks a lot about how when he was starting out, he you know he called up Neil Adams and got Neil Adams' daughter on the phone and she's like, yeah, you know, handed, handed Frank Miller to her dad. Neil's like, come on down. Frank brought a bunch of his pages and Neil tore those shits to shreds. <laughs> Frank was like, thank you, sir. Let me have another. Came back whenever a few weeks later with some new stuff. Neil tore him down again. I would have loved to have kind of had that experience with a hard ass like Neil Adams for crying out loud. Right. One of the masters of the game of all time. You know what I mean? And uh, to get that kind of feedback and then come back for more and improve to the point where finally Neil says to Frank, you know, calls somebody up in one of one of the top companies and says, here, I got a kid, you know, who's good. Give him some work. That's pretty impressive. So, uh, yeah, man, I I guess I'm just saying I I respect the mentoring process. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, So 
lately, as of late, what has been any current projects you're working on or anything that you recently released? Um, yeah, it's been a pretty, it's been a pretty productive, like four years or so. Um, uh, about four, four, about three years ago, I published a book called Godhead, um, which is a side fi science fiction comic book, which I'd had in my head for many years and uh, had had a hard time getting out into the world. And, uh, but I never gave up on it. And I finally got it out in 2018. And um, since then, it's been kind of one thing leading to the other. A lot of doors that were previously closed to me have um, started to open up a little bit, which is kind of nice. Um, so yeah, it's been, um, gosh, uh, it's been a lot that I've done over the last four years, uh, three or four years. Um, I started working with a company called Neotext um, and published uh, a couple of really cool novellas, one called Stone, the other one called Rizzo. Um, mm which uh, were pretty close to getting optioned, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, that was a lot of fun to write. It's sort of a um, cautionary tale about uh, uh, a United States in which um, essentially Trump uh, 2.0 has like been allowed to, um, you know, that power base has been allowed to fester and fascism has taken over in, in, in America. And, uh, and uh, our character Stone is uh, basically, um, standing up to the system after the system has tried to uh, ground her into the dirt. And mm. uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm pretty excited about, um, about Stone and Rizzo. And what else? Uh, Godhead I mentioned um, uh, is a very cool uh, supernatural thing. I got to work on a graphic novel as a writer called uh, The Resurrectionists, which is um, being drawn by a guy named Jeremy Love for Abrams Books mm. uh, and Abrams Books. Um, uh, imprint called Megascope. Um, pretty pumped about that. I, a bunch of stuff. It's been it's been uh, it's been pretty productive last few years. Nice. Got to work on Captain Canuck, which is a Canadian superhero, which I, I loved as a child, and uh, there's been a bunch of stuff. Awesome, awesome. And then there's that uh, Luke Cage. Yes. <laughs> 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 yeah yeah we're excited for all of that stuff um that's awesome that one too yeah <laughs> um uh yeah so um you you mentioned that you're uh getting into uh, some tv film production um do you have uh anything that you want to share with us about that or is it just sort of now it started coming coming together i've seen you know you post some pictures and stuff you don't know if you're just doing filming or test runs so um yeah how's that um, going well, filmmaking is finally starting to pay off. Um, I, you know, you know, like I said, one of my early inspirations were the movies. It was Star Wars, basically. That was kind of the big linchpin for me. And I've said this a thousand times: a thousand and one can't hurt. I always wanted to. I always wanted to get in the movies, but um, uh, it was easier to pick up a pen and paper um, than it was to get a camera. And that's not to say that I've ever thought of comics as second best. Uh, I love comics as their own, you know, unique special art form um and i'm hella thrilled and privileged to have gotten to work in them over the years especially lately um but i also love the movies at the same time mm -hmm. and that movie obsession was not going away so i went into went to film school around 2011 2012 something like that and um cranked out a shit ton of uh short films mm -hmm. and uh finally got a chance to direct a feature film in 2018 and uh, I've got another one in development now. 
and um, and finally getting the chance to do some some screenwriting at the at the at the Hollywood level. So that's oh, like nice. um, that's like a been a lifelong dream. And it's fascinating to um, kind of compare because mostly what I've been doing lately is, has been writing, writing a lot of comics and writing some cinematic stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's been fascinating to sort of compare and contrast um, the differences between screenwriting and comic book writing. And I always thought there was a lot more uh, overlap between the two of them since you're telling stories through pictures, pictures and words. But um, uh, it's only since I've been sort of practicing them, at, you know, at a higher level the last few years that I uh, have really started to see the differences between the two mediums. And I've really wanted to, I always wanted to do like little movies on the page. Now I have zero interest in that, you know, now I'm much more interested in exploiting comics for what is, um, is you know, native to them and to them alone. And uh, so, you know, so it's, uh, it's been, it's fascinating to sort of contra- compare and contrast the two art forms, even though it seems like there's so much overlap between the two of them. Right, right. Um, so like, uh, I guess, uh, for the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the DC Universe, how they're taking those um, movies, um, and you know, they've done it in the past where they were sort of smaller budget, you know, in the 80s, you had Superman and Batman. Yes, sort of like growing now that Marvel's here they they jumped into the forefray with all their massive big budgeted awesome cinematic you know movies um how do you how do you how do you translate is this is this exciting for you to see the sort of what they what they've what they've done um and that, is that giving you a little bit of inspiration and thought like you know maybe you can grab a few characters across whatever universe. It doesn't have to be Marvel or DC or I, I, I honestly want to see more indie film, uh, indie comics maybe come to film and stuff like that. So has that sort of triggered anything um, for you? Uh, yeah. Well, actually one of the, one of the things that we're working on now is um, an adaptation of one of my, one of my graphic novels, a thing called mm. Sand and Fury, um, which we're, we're doing for a company called anti-gravity entertainment. Um, so yeah, as far as like, as far as my own cinematic output, um, yeah, I'm, I'm much more interested in, I love superhero movies. Um, not so much of the interest in, in the cinematic world is because, um, I sort of prefer that on, for myself on the page. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I love those films though. Absolutely. Um, I disagree about Superman being a low budget. That was a huge budget film, as was Batman. But I, I, I take your point. They've certainly like gone to like the next level and beyond since those right. two films. And yeah. um, I gotta say, in many ways, I kind of feel like um, uh, superheroes exist better on the big screen because they're, uh, for me, they're morality plays. They're, um, they're, they're, you know, they're examinations of myth. And, mm-hmm. and they're, you know, they're, they're using spectacle to examine, um, I think when they're done at their best, they're using spectacle to examine essential fundamental truths about human, humanity and human nature. And I mm-hmm. think those things just play out better on a huge screen with sound and movement and, right. and, all, and people around you getting jazzed up by it as well. And um, what I like better in terms of comics, um, I just feel like, um, we don't do action and spectacle just as as well. Even though we our budgets are unlimited on the page, um, when you combine movement and sound, that kind of blows away spectacle that's just presented on two D on the page, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So, yeah. 
uh, I think um, in some ways our stories, if superhero stories are maybe, maybe better reflected um, or maybe better represented by telling smaller stories, more character-based stuff, you know, mm -hmm. that's about people relating um, and, and some of the smaller moments and some of the bigger moments, because we just can't compete on the same level. Now that yeah. having been said, I'm doing Luke Cage and I'm not like trying to hold back on the spectacle. Right? <laughs> like we still got car chases and running gun stuff and people jumping and kicking and, and there's a lot of that. And I'm yeah. having a ball doing that stuff, but I'm mm. just trying to balance that with uh, the smaller moments. Cause I really feel like comics excel at the intimate uh, over the spectacle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Those intimate moments, those, you know, short conversations with, you know, another person and stuff like that. Yeah, that's awesome. just my opinion. Others will others will disagree. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's always the boys, right? The boys show. They they oh basically took the <laughs> they took the I superheroes in. <laughs> I love that show. I think that it's like awesome. what the real superheroes would really do. Like if you <laughs> yeah, probably that is scary, scary. <laughs> I love yeah, that no that was something that I was actually gonna say when you were talking about how you know comics are only 2D and film is you know a whole different side of a budget and what you can show and i think that you see that with a comic like the boys because it was basically a comic and graphic novel first and then for lucky for derek um amazon picked it up and they were like let's let's try something with this and bam it it brings the characters to life they have emotions you see that on screen it's like in you know 3d depth there's special effects and it you just get more drawn into it i think and i think that uh marvel's done a fantastic job of that as well with their characters across the marvel cinematic universe uh especially i, I gotta be honest especially with deadpool right because for a long time deadpool was just this character in comics that would pop up and be funny and he was a satire character but then yeah. his movies just took off and now every convention you go to, there's at least four or five people dressed up as Deadpool that you're going to walk into. Like there's there's pizza Deadpool. There's Deadpool in a full assassin's outfit. There's Deadpool with a rubber ducky with the Hello Kitty backpack. And um, I ran into a Deadpool with a um, what do you call that? A inflatable water donut, like the tubes that you, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. go in the pool with. And he had yeah. that around him with a bathing suit on just walking around the convention like i was like whoa that's pretty cool <laughs> how do you that think of that when i grew up that's for sure yeah <laughs> man yeah i hear you i hear you totally awesome awesome so hochi so, um go ahead oh go i was ahead. just gonna i was just gonna ask him because we do this uh this is just a simple question we always ask creators uh, do you have a favorite superhero and do you have a favorite supervillain? I don't have a favorite supervillain. I have a favorite superhero, though. I like Superman. I know that's not, not very, like, uh, very cool to say. Our peepees, but, you know, people maybe don't have so much respect for Superman. But I like Superman. I've always liked Superman. I, maybe it's because um, I was such a massive fan of the movie when I was a kid. And uh, that really like, had a big impact on me for a number of years. I still love that movie passionately. There's just something about that character that I just like. He's sort of the proto superhero. I like the way he looks. I like the I like 
I, I like the, the optimism of that character. I like the fact that there's a scary aspect to him because he's got all this power yet he chooses to be a good guy. But what if he flips out and does, you know, then they do that with God's, what is it, God's Among Us or, or something like that where Lois dies and Superman flips out. That's so scary. Um, and I kind of like that aspect of him well as well. Um, I don't know, there's just something about that character that I've always responded to. People have said, um, you know, I, I would seem like more like a Batman guy of the two, just because my stuff tends to be a little darker and, you know, I've never shied away from violence in my storytelling or anything like that. And I like the sort of more darker aspects of storytelling. And yet, if I was ever given the choice to do Superman or Batman, I would take Superman a heartbeat. I love I love that character for some reason. So yeah, that, that one's my favorite. Other than that, eh, it's all. Oh, I also really like Daredevil too. I'm a big Daredevil guy as well. Mostly because I'm a Frank Miller guy. And I like um, I like how tortured that character is. Um, I, I kind of have a soft spot for grief porn and tor- like torture porn, like torture of the soul porn. And yeah. uh, you know, you can really kind of uh, wallow in the pain with um, with Daredevil. And I, I, I like that aspect of him. And I also just think he looks totally badass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I like those kind of characters. But uh, other than that, I don't really care. I mean, you can do something cool with almost any character if you have the right take on it. Right. Um, and Luke Cage, you know, I'm luck- I lucked out getting my hands on Luke Cage. He's pretty cool too, especially right now. I think yeah. Luke Cage is a very a great character for this particular moment we're going through. Yeah, yeah, we're excited to see uh, Luke Cage, and uh, we'll definitely be sharing and buying and reading. So, uh, <laughs> oh, guys, I appreciate that. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. That's one thing that we are gonna uh, definitely do in the group, and I hope to Paris is uh, start reviewing some of those. Uh, those Marvel comics there. Oh yeah. Yeah. We definitely will. We'll definitely do that. Um, yeah. So um, Hochi, it's been, uh, it's been good. It's been great. Um, this has been awesome. Um, I think, uh, you know, and, and, and for, for time's sake, we just want to make sure we're keeping, keeping great time. This has been an awesome conversation. Um, is there anything sort of you want to share um, to let people know where, where, where they can find you online and, you know, Twitters and the, the yeah, labs and all that fun stuff. Absolutely. Um, I've become quite a fan of um, Instagram over the last year or so. I, I just have a good time just sharing random stuff. And I, I really like to uh, uh, engage with people that way. Um, so, uh, yeah, you can always track me down on Instagram. Easy to find there. Um, you can find me on Facebook. I don't spend as much time there as, well, as, as I do on Instagram, though. Okay. And Twitter. Awesome. No Twitter. Twitter is bad. <laughs> those characters go crazy. <laughs> oh my god, those Karen Karen picks, man! I can't take the Karens, brother. No oh, Karens, yeah. no Karens, well, horrible. I've seen awesome. I've seen a awesome. lot of people leave Twitter uh, lately. A lot of artists leave Twitter lately. Yeah. I don't yeah. I don't blame them, man. It just seems so toxic. There's some obviously there's toxicity on those other platforms as well, but I don't find myself uh being confronted with it so thoroughly as uh, as i've seen on other friends twitter accounts and whatever whatever you know what i've come across the twitter over the years so i'll just stay away from right. that one right you know yeah because on instagram at least you do a photo and you talk about your photo and, it, and the focus is your photo but if you tweet something oh that was amazing yeah no it wasn't it sucked right You're like, <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking You're about in the middle of a shit storm man for what right <laughs> Like, it ain't worth it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, some ghost made account or something like that. So 
We're well, awesome. it, I just want to say that it was awesome getting to talk to you, getting to know you a little bit and, and Thanks, talking Carla. about your passions. And I can see that you have a lot of passion for what you do. You're very Absolutely. into it. And you've had some great mentors that may have torn down some walls and and made you try harder and harder until you, you know, you that achieved is. your peak at the time. And I, I think that's great, man. I can't wait to start reading your stuff. I'm going to go awesome. back and read your Martin Luther King Jr. stuff as well. Um, so I'm pretty excited for, for everything that you got coming out and everything that you've done. I'm going to go back and look at some of that Vortex stuff, too, if I can find it. You won't be able to find that stuff. <laughs> but, uh, you can find you can find some of my stuff. It's still out there. Try Godhead, right. and I'd be curious to see what you think about Godhead. Absolutely, Godhead, okay. absolutely. Awesome. All right, Hochi. Um, I will, right I was there. just gonna say anything else you want to say before we exit. No, no, I'm good to go. This was a lot of fun, guys. I really appreciate you giving me a little bit of your time, and yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, great questions. Awesome. Awesome. We appreciate it. Um, thank you. Um, all the best um, with all the future endeavors. Um, we, we're looking forward to it. You know, we'll share um, you know, across all the platforms once they do come out. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we look forward to seeing more of your work and um, you, hopefully uh, catching some of your future films and stuff like that and, and seeing your name pop up in credits and stuff. So, yeah, awesome. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Appreciate it so much. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Carl. Peace, guys. Anytime. Bye.